From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hi, this is Joseph Backholm filling in for Tony Perkins. Thank you for being part of Washington Watch. Today on the program, why aren't more evangelical churches engaged in politics? Some say, oh, we can't do that. That's not in the Bible. But is that true? Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel will respond to that argument and more. Also on the program, why would a Christian ever descend into the messy morass of politics and run for office? We're here from two Christians who have done so successfully. Tony sat down with Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma and Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, and their stories will inspire you. Now, as regular listeners will know, this year, Family Research Council rebranded our flagship conference as the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit to better reflect our vision for how Christians should interact in the public square. And for the first time, we held the event at a church. Over 2,000 attendees from all over America gathered at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, where newsmakers shared about the challenges and joys of advancing policies that are pro-life, pro-family, and pro-freedom. By the way, if you haven't done so, you can check out all the amazing content from the summit at prayvotestand.org summit. All the panels and speakers are archived there. We had politicians, activists, and other leaders. You won't want to miss any of it, so just visit prayvotestand.org summit. Now, why would a Christian run for office? You've probably heard evangelicals offer excuses before for why Christians should stay out of public policy and especially out of politics. But what we really should want to know is, what does the Bible have to say about this? Should faith and politics ever overlap? Well, the pastor of Cornerstone Chapel, Gary Hamrick, a good friend of Tony's, spoke at the event to answer that question. Here's Pastor Hamrick at the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. In 2008, I began a journey of understanding how faith and politics intersected. I had always thought that faith and politics were on parallel lines, and they were never really supposed to intersect. Politicians did what politicians do, Christians do what Christians do, and obviously sometimes there are, as we saw tonight, politicians who are also Christians, but by and large, we were each stay in our own lane. But in 2008, I invited David Barton, the president of Wall Builders, to speak at our church in our old building. And it was a presidential election year, and he and his wife and uh, my wife, Terry, and myself were at dinner together, and David asked me, do you ever preach election sermons? I said I'd never heard of an election sermon, let alone preached one. And so he began to school me in history about how pastors for some 300 years, dating back to colonial times prior to the American Revolution, would give election sermons every time there was an election and even call out candidates either in support of or in opposition to from the pulpit. I later came across a two-volume set called Political Sermons of the American Founding Era from 1730 to 1805. I began to read them. I began to do my own research studying the Bible and American history to try to understand why the church has withdrawn from political involvement and become silent, or worse, asleep. As if the Great Commission only applied to our friends and families and neighbors and co-workers, but somehow this one area of government and elected leaders where politics and policy shape a nation 
are off limits. And I came to the conclusion that the reason we have become disengaged and have believed the Bible narrative, or rather the false narrative, I should say, that politics have no place in the church is because of three particular things that have intimidated us. We all understand, right? There is a purposeful plan of intimidating people today to silence and to cancel the crowd. One of those things, I think, that over the years has played a role in intimidating us that we might believe this false narrative that politics have no place in the church. Number one is the phrase, the separation of church and state. The phrase, separation of church and state, as I'm sure most, if not all of you understand, but just to kind of reinforce what we know to be true, that phrase is found nowhere in our founding documents. Not in the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, or the Bill of Rights. So where did it come from? Well, in 1802, then-President Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter in response to a question that the Danbury Baptists had in Connecticut at their convention about the intent of the First Amendment. They wanted some reassurance against government intrusion. Ever heard of that? And Thomas Jefferson, in a personal letter that he wrote to the Danbury Baptists in Connecticut, he used that phrase, building a wall of separation between church and state. But in its context, you see, it was a letter from Jefferson to assure the church that the First Amendment was intended to keep government out of the church, not the church out of the government. But that phrase has since been hijacked in an effort to remove God from the public square and to remove the church from government influence. It is an attempt to silence Christians and marginalize the church. But remember, when they tried to silence Peter and John in Acts 5.29, they said, we must obey God rather than man. And so... The phrase, the separation of church and state, has intimidated us and silenced us. Also, number two, I think contributing to this false narrative about no intersection between faith and politics is the 1954 Johnson Amendment. In 1954, then-Senator Senator Lyndon Johnson authored a bill that passed the Senate on a voice vote without debate or analysis and became law restricting speech of any 501c3 organization, such as churches, and the amendment stated that nonprofit tax-exempt entities could not participate in or intervene in, including the publishing or distributing of statements, any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for public office. And Johnson, by the way, had proposed this amendment to get back at two nonprofit organizations that had opposed his run for the Senate in 1954. It was a personal vendetta, and it became law. And thus, pastors have felt muzzled for fear of losing their church's tax-exempt status. Now, we're going to hear tomorrow from uh, uh, one of the attorneys from Alliance Defending Freedom, a great organization of uh, lawyers, the largest uh, Christian legal organization in the world, And according to ADF, the Johnson Amendment is unconstitutional on several grounds. It violates the Establishment Clause, 
by requiring the government to excessively and pervasively monitor the speech of churches. It violates the free speech clause because it requires the government to discriminate against speech based solely on the content of the speech. And it violates the free exercise clause because the government does not have a compelling reason to burden religion in this regard. And so I can't wait to get this law challenged in court, and I've been trying my best to make that happen. I've been trying. But listen, even if that never happens, even if it never gets legally challenged and thrown out, pastors must get to the place where tax-exempt status is not a sacred cow. We cannot be silent on policies and people who shape our nation for financial gain. That is idolatry. So if it's not the clause separation of church and state, if it's not the 1954 Johnson Amendment, number three, this is what I hear often, it is the belief that there is a lack of biblical precedence. People will say to me when they push back against me getting too political from the pulpit, they will say, you know, it's just not in the Bible. We're just not supposed to do this kind of thing. Again, let politics do what politics does. Let the church do what the church does. But the two should not intersect. Many object to mixing faith and politics because they say there's no example of it in the Bible. And I think that some people come to that conclusion because there is no example of what we have in America. There's no example of a republic in the Bible where people get the right to vote on elected leaders. And therefore, people will say there's, there are no examples of the apostles or pastors speaking out on political matters. After all, Remember, Israel was either a theocracy where God was in charge, or it later digressed to an oligarchy where judges were in charge, or to a monarchy where kings were in charge, or some foreign government, some foreign nation had oppressed the Jewish people and subjugated them to their nation, okay? There... When you, when you look at the Bible, at no time in the Bible was Israel a democratic state like it is today. But to say that faith and politics never intersected is just a misunderstanding or plain ignorance of the Bible. Prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Nathan, Jeremiah, they confronted kings and their policies. Daniel influenced King Nebuchadnezzar and King Cyrus and their policies. Nehemiah influenced King Artaxerxes and his policies. Esther influenced King Ahasuerus and his policies. John the Baptist confronted King Herod. Even Jesus weighed in on Caesar and paying taxes. And Paul commands us to pray for kings and all those in authority that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Don't tell me the Bible is silent about the intersection of faith and politics. Even George Washington in his farewell address in 1796, he said, religion and morality are indispensable supports of our political prosperity. That said, let me emphasize this. Talking about politics from the pulpit and encouraging people to get involved by advancing biblical values through the political process is no substitute for the gospel. 
There is no greater tool at our disposal than the truth of God's Word that when preached will change hearts and lives one life at a time by the power of the Holy Spirit. And thus, transforming one life at a time will transform a family at a time, a community at a time, and ultimately, potentially, a nation. It is the Word of God that will have the greatest impact on a society. And pastors who aren't preaching it need to get back to the basics of the Bible. But to only give people the gospel without helping them to understand how to apply the principles of the gospel to everyday life, like family finances and marriage and how to raise kids and, yes, even school board policies and the Equality Act and candidates and policies that shape our nation. If you don't help people to understand the gospel is a practical application of God's principles for everyday life, this is Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and I'm Joseph Backholm. Today, we're broadcasting special content from our Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. That was Gary Hamrick, pastor of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, the church that hosted the event. If you want to hear more speakers from the summit, just visit prayvotestand.org slash summit. It's all archived there. That's prayvotestand.org slash summit. But don't go away. After the break, Pastor Hamrick shares his thoughts on what it would take to return America to a biblical foundation. What do abortion, pornography, and human trafficking have in common? They all enable people to be treated without dignity and worth, as objects to be bought, sold, and discarded by others. These issues demean what it is to be a human made in the image of God. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every person has inherent dignity and worth. That is why we fight for every human life to be affirmed and valued. No one, regardless of their sex, size, or age, should be treated like a commodity. To combat the attacks we're seeing in our culture on the vulnerable, FRC's Center for Human Dignity serves to educate and advocate for the sake of the voiceless. At the center, you will find helpful resources addressing abortion, bioethics and human trafficking, pornography and other current issues regarding human dignity. To learn more, visit frc.org life. That's frc.org life. Here's a moment of hope for your home with Jerry and Becky Drace. How many gifts do you give your children at Christmas? Like us, probably way too much. But giving gifts is a way of expressing love. Listen to Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Mm, the wise men came to bring gifts to Jesus, the Christ child. They knew he was special, and they wanted to show their love. The gifts that they brought were gold, which represented Jesus as the king, frankincense, which represented him as the high priest, and myrrh which represented him as our sacrifice. Each gift given had a special meaning. The greatest gift you can give to Jesus, though, is your life. It's more precious to him than gold, frankincense, or myrrh. Please use this gift-giving time to teach this to your children. Want to give the gift that lasts? Give Jesus your life. Learn more at hopeforthehome.org. 
This has been a moment of hope for your home. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us, and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us, and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community, and this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same-sex attracted couple contact us, and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what, and they said, please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm. Earlier in the show, Pastor Gary Hamrick explained the nexus between faith and politics. Just before the break, he said ignoring politics serves to undermine the relevance of the gospel to everyday life. We'll hear more from him in just a moment. But first, if you miss any part of today's program, you'll be able to find it at TonyPerkins.com. There you'll also find the details of this show, including related resources, and you can watch past shows. Also, two years ago, Family Research Council rolled out the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan to encourage people to read through the scriptures. All that we do, whether it be in our public policy work, our careers, our family, or entertainment, starts with the firm foundation of scripture. So I encourage you to sign up now to join us in January for our Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. And for details, visit frc.org slash Bible. Now, speaking of the Bible, Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel explained at our Prevote Stand Summit, which we held at his church, by the way, the biblical roots of America's founding and what it would take to return to them today. Here's what he had to say. Psalm 33, verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Well, how can we expect our nation to be blessed if we don't actively get involved to make God the Lord of our nation? America was founded on biblical principles. The breakdown of the government from federal to local, our founding fathers looked at Exodus 18. Three branches of government, they derived from Isaiah 33, 22. The separation of powers, they derive from Jeremiah 17, 9. Tax exemption for churches, Ezra 7, 24. God has been at the center of our nation since its founding in 1776. Listen to the references to God in the Declaration of Independence. It starts with, quote, the laws of nature and nature's God in the first paragraph. It establishes that our unalienable rights come not from government, but from our creator in the second paragraph. It appeals to, quote, the supreme judge of the world in the last paragraph. And it invokes the protection of, quote, divine providence in the signature line of all 56 signers when they pledge to each other their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. Don't let a non-believing secular world redefine our nation and our values. But wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor. We don't want to rock the boat. Rock the boat. Rock that boat. The time has come to rock the boat. (laughs) 
To borrow another euphemism, don't upset the apple cart. Well, there are a few rotten apples that need to get upset. <laughs> upset the apple cart. Rock the boat. It is time to get engaged. The role of pastors in American politics was summarized by the Reverend Charles Finney in 1873 when he said this, quote, Brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. If there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation, end quote. Amen. When Charles Finney spoke those words, it was a part of the Second Great Awakening in America. Depending on what historian you ask, there were either three or four Great Awakenings in America. The first happened in the 1700s, the second in the uh, 1800s, the third about middle of the 19th century, into the 1900s. The last great revival that we've really seen was in the 1960s and 70s through the Jesus Movement. And the second great awakening, when Finney said what he did, they recorded that on average 10,000 people were coming to faith in Jesus just in New York City alone every single week. 10,000 people in New York City. In the dead of winter, check this out, during the, the second great awakening, in the dead of winter, they would cut holes in the ice of the Hudson River to baptize people. Because so many people were, were coming to faith in Jesus, they couldn't get him into the churches. They just started cutting holes in the ice of the Hudson and baptizing people. What we need in America, again, is another great awakening. That's what we need. I long to see the day that we have to cut holes in the Potomac River to be able to baptize people, starting with members of Congress. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But it's going to start with every single one of us because we humble ourselves and we pray and we vote, we lift up our voices that they would count. The evangelical Christian vote has been silent for too long. We must be heard, not abrasively, but we must be heard and we must take a stand for what is right. And if we don't, who will? We must be Christ's ambassadors in this world. And our nation's capital needs to wake up because the church first wakes up. And we lead the charge through prayer, through voting, and for standing for what is right to make a difference in our nation. Amen? Amen. Amen. So here's the thing. Psalm 85 verse 6 says, Lord, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? I long for that. There's some of you who are watching online and some of you here tonight, you are faithful patriots, but maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's where it begins. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, 
I want to encourage you to commit your life to him. If you want to make a difference in your nation, let it start from within you first. Where God would come into a relationship with you through your faith in what he's done by giving his son Jesus on a cross for your sins. You would surrender your life to him. You would acknowledge that he's Lord of your life, not yourself. You would submit and surrender to his lordship, confessing your sins, asking Christ to come into your heart. If we are praying for a great awakening, may it start with us. Thanks for joining us here on Washington Watch. Today we're broadcasting some of the highlights from our Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. All the panels and speakers are archived at prayvotestand.org slash summit. If you want to hear more great content, go check it out at prayvotestand.org slash summit. Pastor Gary Hamrick made the case for why Christians should be involved in politics. Stick around to hear from two Christians who are so involved, they're in the United States Senate. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. Well, on Wednesday, we saw the markets close, mostly in positive territory, but the S&P 500 hit another all-time record. This is number 70 for the year. 70 times the S&P 500 has hit a record high. Pretty amazing. The Dow was up about a quarter of 1%. The NASDAQ down slightly, uh, did a little bit better on Wednesday. You can expect higher gas prices as oil prices climb, yes, towards $80, but a tighter supply of oil is really a big issue. And I don't think there's going to be much of an issue with a slowing down in demand. I think demand is going to continue to stay strong because really, I don't think there's going to be a lockdown. Even if there's lockdown, there's not going to be a lockdown. I think the people have had enough. And I think we're going to see people out and about more so than we have in some time. Look, everybody is concerned about what's going to happen next year, I'm sure. One of the best pieces of advice I can give everybody as we head into a new year is to be prepared for a downturn. And the best way to do that is not get out of the market. The best way to do that is maybe increase your cash position a little bit. The other thing is don't get rid of your risk in your portfolio, that might pay good dividend to you over the years, but don't take on any more risk. There's, uh, that would not be the right thing to do in what is going to be likely a very uncertain market. So stay still. Next year is going to be about inflation. It's going to be about Russia, Iran, China, the elections. There's $12.1 trillion of cash out there in businesses that is likely going to keep the markets propped up a bit. Get rid of your debt. Think about saving and increase, as I said, your cash position. I hope you all have a wonderful new year. Get a chance to relax and get ready for more roller coaster rides next year. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. Welcome back, friends. It does seem a lot like Christmas right now. Enjoy the season and remember the reason. With the far left pushing their anti-biblical agenda and seeking to silence conservative voices, our shared values face many challenges. But you can make a difference by partnering with FRC to reach millions of Americans with truth and a biblical perspective. And thanks to a challenge match by friends of FRC, your gift will have double the impact if received by December 31st. Will you join the growing momentum of Americans who are rejecting the left's radical social agenda and standing for truth? As scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, let us be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Join today at TonyPerkins.com.
Okay, earlier in the program, Pastor Gary Hamrick refuted the notion that Christians should stay out of politics, noting the need for politicians who are also Christians. Tony Perkins sat down with two of them at the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Senator James Langford of Oklahoma and Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas. One theme that emerged is that they don't just happen to be politicians and happen to be Christians. No, their faith motivated them to run for public office. Take a listen. Faith is a big deal to me personally. Uh, faith is uh, when you're in ministry, they kind of expect it of you. It's like, uh, you know, it's 22 years in youth ministry, so it's like you're paid to have faith. Everyone else does it for free kind of thing. <laughs> But that, that, that was never true for me. It was just a, a, a vibrant part of me. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was eight years old. Uh, I was the kid sitting up in the balcony that was, my mom later told me we sat in the balcony because I got in trouble and it was easier to pull me out of the balcony uh, and not make a scene. But I, I listened to my pastor one Sunday and I distinctly remember the moment to realize there is a God and I don't know him. And uh, it began this journey for me to be able to come to know Christ at eight years old, to be baptized, to be able to grow up around that, to be called to ministry, and uh, to be able to serve for students for 22 years. But now I'm in this role in Congress, and I honestly have people catch me and say, well, now you're in a secular role. You need to kind of back off of your faith and not talk about your faith so much because when you're in ministry, okay, that's fine, but you're not in ministry anymore. Now you're in Congress, so you need to represent everyone. That means you don't live your faith. And I'll typically smile at them and say, listen, faith is not something you take on and off. If your faith is something you only do on your weekends, that's not a faith, that's a hobby. Okay, I don't, hobby is what you do on a weekend. A faith affects everything you do. So my faith affects how I treat my staff, how I treat people that are politically different than I am. That's still a person created in the image of God. They're wrong, but they were created in the image of God. So they have value and worth. And so it just, it just changes everything when you have this biblical worldview to realize I'm going to honor God in what I do and how I do it. As Jesus said, to try to learn how he did to say, I, the Father's not only told me what to say, but how to say it. To be able to live that way, I think, is important, even in a political realm. But it's not just important for elected officials. That's important for every Christian. And that's one of the things you've championed is the ability for us to live our faith as the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded us to do in every walk of life, whether it's a a teacher in the classroom, a coach on the field, an accountant in the, the bank, everywhere. Yeah, if I can say just one quick thing on that, and that is... There is some assumption among some even of faith that if you go into politics, it's time to just go at. And I think, okay, biblical principles still work no matter where you are. You don't just live biblical principles of how to be able to interact with people, how to confront issues if you're only in the church or around churchy things. It is in your workplace, as you're saying, as a teacher, in a political world that God has called both of us into. Those biblical principles work every single place if we'll actually apply it and live it. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Marshall, Senator Marshall, uh, 5,000 babies. I mean, you you spanked a lot of heinies. Now you got to talk to a lot of them, don't you? Um, What what propelled you? I mean, look, you, you have had a very successful career. Doctors are loved. Politicians, not so much so. What brought you to Washington? Yeah, uh, Tony, I think that we've all got a, a, a different story, but uh, we were living happily ever after. We had two kids in high school, two in college, things were going well. 
Uh, some folks had approached me about running for the House of Representatives for a couple years, and my wife had consistently told them, no, he's not interested. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, she said, I don't want you to start any new businesses. I don't want you to volunteer to be on any more boards. You need to circle the wagons, get these children raised, and then we're going to ride off into the sunset. And we had our first grandson in 2015. And you may recall that was the seventh year under President Obama. And we had the discussion, what are we going to be when we get old or when we grow up? That, that discussion. And she looked at me and she said, this nation's really broke. You, you like to fix things. It's time for you to go. And I'm not sure... You know, God speaks to us in different ways. I've always prayed for that burning bush, but usually it's people in my life that have spoken very clearly to me. And my, the biggest mistakes I've ever made is doing what my wife told us not to do, and I'm sure you've never had that problem. <laughs> but, uh, and, and certainly it was one of the few times in our marriage that she said, this is something that, that I feel like we're called to do. And, and by the way, she's not necessarily happy about that. It's been a huge stress on our family. Uh, it would have been much easier to say no to that call. And of all the things, you know, eventually you all are going to say, what can you do for us? But pray for our families. I think this is much harder on them uh, emotionally, physically than it is, on, it is on us in many ways. That was part of Tony's interview with Senators James Langford and Roger Marshall at FRC's Pray Vote Stand Summit. This is a special edition of Washington Watch. If you miss any part of today's program, it's all archived at TonyPerkins.com. If you want to hear more great speakers from the Pray Vote Stand Summit, you can find them at PrayVoteStand.org slash summit. Coming up next, what is God doing in Washington? And can you be involved? Senators Lankford and Marshall return with the answers. Don't go away. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me, they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Are you a gifted teacher with a biblical worldview and a heart for youth? If so, American Family Association could use your help. As we gear up for the 2022 Marriage, Family, and Life Conference, we need volunteer teachers who are willing to be trained to reach the next generation. If you want to make a real difference in the battle for truth and in the hearts of our youth, please visit marriagefamilylife.net and click on Impact a Life. marriagefamilylife.net, Impact a Life. Today's culture is opting for entertainment rather than biblical enlightenment. For those who resist that trend, 
Friends of Israel shows listeners why loving the Jewish people and supporting Israel is important to the Christian faith. Friends of Israel shares biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and promotes solidarity with the Jewish people. This is Chris Katolka of the Friends of Israel Today radio program heard each weekend on this station, and here's what's happening in Israel. Friends of Israel, Saturday afternoon at 2, here on American Family Radio. Now some good news from American Family Radio. For years, scientists and archaeologists have made discoveries consistent with claims in the Bible. In 1961, an archaeological dig revealed evidence of Pontius Pilate. In 1993, and again in 2019, evidence was found to support the existence of King David. In 2018, a Rockefeller University genetic study found that all human life descended from one genetic pair. Archaeologists have been able to corroborate elements of the New Testament story of Jesus, and first-century historians Tacitus and Josephus referred to Jesus in their writings. The dramatic gospel accounts of Jesus' horrible suffering, crucifixion, and resurrection from death still stand up against expert scrutiny. In light of historic confirmations, many are finding it harder to doubt Jesus' claims, and people honestly searching for truth are coming to believe in Jesus. For more information, ask a Christian or read the Bible, an encouragement from the American Family Association. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for joining us. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. We've had a special program today playing some of the highlights from our Prairie Vote Stand Summit. I want to return in just a minute to Senators James Lankford and Roger Marshall. But first, you know the far left is pushing an anti-biblical agenda and seeking to silence truth and punish those who share our values. But you can make a difference by partnering with FRC to reach millions of Americans with truth and a biblical perspective. And thanks to a challenge match by Friends of FRC, your gift will have double the impact if received by December 31st. Will you join the growing momentum of Americans who are rejecting the left's radical social agenda? Well, Scripture reminds us, let us be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. To join today, visit TonyPerkins.com. In addition, with social media, you never know who's going to be censored or deplatformed. So stay in touch with us. Text the word STAND to 67742. That way, we can stay in contact with you and send you updates and alerts on news, events, and resources. Message send varies. Message and data rates may apply. Press stop to cancel and help for help. Visit frc.org slash text for terms and conditions and our privacy policy. Now, as I mentioned, the left wants to silence Christians and marginalize us. They certainly don't want us to be encouraged by the good things God is doing in Washington. Programs like Washington Watch exist to tell stories others don't tell. So we're going to return now to Tony Perkins' conversation with Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma and Roger Marshall of Kansas from the Pray Vote Stand Summit, where we discussed how God is moving in Washington, D.C., and what it would take to return America to God. You know, I'm, I'm probably most deeply concerned about the effort to silence, and we're seeing this in the legacy media. They, they just want to completely silence the view that most of us in this room have. But I'm also very hopeful about what some of the things that I see that the legacy media and others don't report. For instance, the two of you sitting here. I've got the... Everyone here. And everybody here. This is not going to be in the the news. I'm going to talk about this. But now I've been in Washington almost 20 years, a long time now. I'm, I'm getting to be one of the old guys in the room. And I've watched men and women like you come 
And what I've seen over my 20 years is that there are more men and women of committed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ serving in Congress than probably in modern time. Uh, that's true. That's true. And also, here's another uh, factoid you won't get from the fact checkers, is the fact that after 2018, in the House of Representatives, in the Republican Caucus, a conference, uh, there are no longer any openly pro-choice Republicans. All the Republicans are pro-life since Roe v. Wade. Now, I'm going to ask you what gives you hope but I'm going to tell you what gives me hope is that God, if God were not, if he were finished with America, he wouldn't be calling men and women of faith to Washington, D.C., right. and he's doing that. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree. So, so, Tony, I've literally said to people before, because I'll have folks that will catch me, and they'll say a couple of things. Uh, they'll say, uh, Washington, D.C. is Sodom and Gomorrah. I can't believe you work there. And I'll typically smile at them and go, yeah, I, I can see some similar characteristics. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah. At, at the end, at Sodom and Gomorrah, God was pulling all the believers out. He's still sending believers in. Yeah. So that would tell me, even if this is Sodom and Gomorrah, he hasn't given up on it. We shouldn't give up on it. Yes. We should stay engaged. That's number yeah. one. <laughs> no, number two on that, I, I hate to tell you, Washington, D.C. is a mirror to the country more than the country wants to admit. We are a representative republic. The people that are elected in Washington, D.C., and the issues we work on represent our states and our districts more than people want to admit. Because I have people all the time say, oh, those people in D.C. are crazy. And I'm going to go, have you looked at your neighbor lately? <laughs> have, you, have you engaged in conversation at your workplace and all this kind of stuff? And you're like, yeah, it gets a little contentious. I was like, it does here, too. Our nation is as contentious as Washington, D.C. is. It's just not on television every day what's actually happening in workplaces and, and, and locations. So for me, when I look at it, I say, if we want to see a change, I really am convinced that Washington doesn't change the country. The country changes Washington. Yeah. And the, the country is changed by churches and by believers actually living their faith. I really do believe in the power of the gospel. I really do believe... In principles like First Peter, uh, and Peter is writing to a church in Asia Minor, and he's saying to them, "You guys are like aliens and strangers living in a foreign land. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us." And then he spends the rest of the book of First Peter saying, "Here are some practical things you can do to demonstrate your faith into a culture that has no idea who God is." Guess what? Those churches put that into practice. They lived among a people that had no idea who God was. They lived those principles out, and people came to know God, and cultures got turned around. You think maybe that would work the same now as it did in the first century? Absolutely. I do. Absolutely. So that gives me hope. Senator Marshall, what gives you hope that, um, that there is hope for America? Yeah. You know, I, I think that people would be sh shocked if they would spend a week with us on Capitol Hill, that you're going to see the Democrat ladies hug us and the Democrats fist bump us. Every Wednesday morning, we have a bipartisan prayer breakfast. Probably 15, 17 of us gather there. Uh, very meaningful prayer. Um, 
And I think that continues to grow and prosper. The, you know, the time we spend in the gym together and, and different places, I think that you're going to see that. So it's the people that gives me the hope. And I'm going to give one other piece of, of hope. Uh, we've done about 60 town halls this year. And as I go to these town halls, just the level of engagement uh, that, that I'm feeling, that the level of encouragement I'm getting from people, folks that typically would stand back and watch, they're sick and tired of it. And they're standing up, they're angry, and they, they see that these crises after crisis created by this White House, and they're almost ready to, to fight for us. We're almost there. So I, I think that uh, there's, there's a group of folks out there that are, that are being awakened and ready to come and help us win this war. And it is a spiritual war. It's a spiritual battle. It yeah, it's a real deal. And there, there are people that literally are so angry, they want to actually go to blows. And I have to back them up and go, this is first a spiritual battle. These things are one with spiritual means. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And, but we should, we should actually take that to heart. I, I'm amazed at the number of people that I run into that are followers of Christ, that their favorite verses are the verses about Jesus tipping tables over, like, let's go. <laughs> you know, that's what I want to do every day. I tell people, Jesus did that twice in his ministry. If you do that every day, that's anger, anger management issues for you. That's not righteous indignation. But for, for followers of Christ, when we step in to engage these difficult issues, none of these issues are more difficult than what God can handle. Not a one of them. I, I, I approach things during the day, and I, I look at the size and the complexity of it, and my first thought is, this is not bigger than God. It's just not. If we will actually do God's work God's way and not try to do God's work man's way, yeah. there is a right way to do it and a right thing to do. And I will often remind followers of Christ, if your behavior looks more like the Romans than it does like Jesus, remember he was crucified to set the tone for those Romans, not to encourage people to be like them. So we should do God's work God's way, but we should do God's work. Well, let's talk about that because, as you mentioned, this is a spiritual battle. I, earlier, I quoted from Ephesians 6, you know, and he said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness uh, of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so that's, that is the battle. But we have to know how to wrestle it out and fight it in this world in, in very practical ways. So, I'm going to ask each of you just to kind of share what that engagement looks like. What, you know, as Paul went through that, he talked about standing, and we need to stand for truth. We need to be engaged in the culture. From your perspective of what you're saying, you just, you've had 30 town hall meetings this year. What does that look like? I mean, this is a pray, vote, stand summit. So we want information, but we also need direction on what we need to be doing right now to make a difference at this moment we've been entrusted with by God. Yeah, Tony, I think that FRC does a great job of, of helping prioritize. There are so many issues we could be standing up and praying about and voting for right now. So I think it's, so we're interacting with what the priorities are right now. Um, there's plenty of sanctity of life issues we could be focused on right now. Transgender issues. So I think that, that uh, listening to, to your people, us going to town halls, trying to prioritize what, what, what is the next issue that's coming forward. 
and people's level of engagement. When you engage with James and me, you're preaching to the choir, but some of you live in states and districts where folks may disagree with us. Being willing to go where, where you're not always welcome, uh, but in a, in, a, in a godly manner will be very important going forward as well. So I, I think that, um, you, that that word of encouragement from you all was constant. I'm very, very grateful for those words of encouragement. Standing beside me, behind me, putting air beneath our wings as we're your voice here uh, in Washington. By the way, um, you've been leading out in the Senate on the transgender issues, which so many don't want to touch uh, because of how vicious... Uh, those on the other side of that issue can be. And I just want to thank you for your leadership on that uh, in the Senate. Thank you. So let me do, let me do mini sermon and I'll make it mini. Okay. But it does apply in this context. So there'd be a sermonette? Uh, no. Oh, okay. All right. Just a mini sermon. <laughs> okay. So I, I, I would take people back to Nehemiah chapter one. And the reason I take you back there is that in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah, who's in captivity, born in captivity, it's been 150 years since Jerusalem fell. He's a slave. As far as we can tell, it was his grandfather's grandfather or grandfather's dad that was back in Jerusalem. So he's had no connection with it for all this time. His brother, who's also a slave, Hanani, comes back from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah looks at him and says, what's it like in Jerusalem? And Hanani says, oh, it's awful. The, the gates are down, the, the, the wall's down, the gates are burned, the people are in shame. It's terrible. And literally in the scene, Hanani walks away. Nehemiah falls on his knees and begins to start praying and says, oh, God, this place that I'm from, that my family's from, that your name is on, is in shambles. What should I do? So the two brothers, literally, two physical brothers, one of them was like, yeah, it stinks, and walks away. And the other one kneels down and prays and says, God, what's my part? Now, remember the rest of it. Nehemiah ends up in Jerusalem. Crazy, great story. If you haven't read it, go read it, okay? He ends up in Jerusalem, and he has this crazy plan from God. Every family works on the part of the wall next to their house. Do this. Work on this. And everybody's like, well, that'll never work. Okay, you, you just don't worry about their doing. Do this part. And the wall that's been down 150 years is rebuilt in 57 days because everybody worked on their section. So I know this sounds crazy, but people ask me all the time, I'm going to go to Washington, I'm going to fix everything. I was like, how's it going next to your house? I literally have people say to me, what can I do? And I will say, you don't want to hear me. You don't want to hear the answer. And they'll go, no, wh what should I do? And I'll say, run for school board. Yeah. That's what you should do. We desperate. Thank you. Yeah. Go win it. We desperately need people to fall down on their knees and say, God, here's my country. Here's my community. This is in a shambles. I know you love your people. What's my part? And allow God to say, you're going to the school board. You're going to city council. You're volunteering on this particular board, on this particular nonprofit that needs a godly person. Would, would we stop being surprised 
when God wants to send light into dark places. Okay, would we stop being surprised at that? That's what he does. That's who he is. And for many of you that are excited about what Roger and I are doing, thank you for that. What is your part of the wall? This is our part. For the people that catch me and say, I can never work with the people you work with, they drive me crazy. I'll go, well, yeah, I have my days. But then I'll say to them, that's my mission field. Would you pray for us in our mission field? What's your mission field? What's your part of the wall? So that's That's what I would say. Tony, if I could add one thing, we need young godly men and women to go into teaching as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was that was a great mini sermon. I think I'll take Not up. Sermon no, it was a mini sermon, so I'm going to take up a mini offering. <laughs> <laughs> you do mini sermons, but maxi offering. Oh, that's right. Okay. okay. But that was so practical, but I love the story of Nehemiah. It's a great leadership story, but it, it it's very practical. It's right where we live, and and that's just where we have to to just fall before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And, and, and sometimes I'll be very candid. We're afraid to ask that question because we're afraid he's going to answer it. Yeah. And it's easier to point to someone else and say, hey, you go do this. But these guys make sacrifices. And those on the school boards make sacrifices. But, you know, we're called to make sacrifices. That is what we've been called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I'm Joseph Backholm, and thank you for being part of this special edition of Washington Watch. That was Tony's conversation with Senators Lankford and Marshall from our Pray Vote Stand Summit. For more content, visit prayvotestand.org slash summit. We'll see you next time here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.